Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each Sunday, you'll join us at the Messiah Lutheran Church Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Oddy. This week, we are continuing our series in the book of Matthew titled, Living the Life of the Beloved and the Belonged. Enjoy. All right, well, let's take a look at just a few things that we uh, talked about last week in our, uh, in our conversation here. Number one is that living your public faith can expose you to the temptation of wrong motives. And remember, we kind of talked about that, that, that that's been Jesus's kind of caution. Uh, you know, be, be careful of when you're giving to the poor, for example, or when you're praying, as we, we talked about immediately last week. Or, and it can be anything, you know, your worship. It can be any of those things that uh, be careful that you're not doing it to be seen by others. And, and that, that's a little bit of a, a phrase that Jesus uses just simply to describe the idea that it's very easy when others notice what you're doing and then they say something to you about it. It's so easy to just sort of get caught up either in a positive or a negative. The positive is, is that they say to you how wonderful it was that you did that or how life-changing it was that you did that. And you start to feel a little bit uh, lofty. You know, you go, well, hey, I guess I am something. You know, I mean, it's just, it's easy to go there. It can also be in a negative sense that that, uh, that, that people are listening and people are watching, and then you become sort of preoccupied or worried about what they think when you do it. And sometimes we do that, that too. We, we go, oh, I could never pray in public because I might say it the wrong way, or I could never witness to anybody because my words might send them to hell. You know, I mean, we just, we just get overly worried about that. And so Jesus is saying the caution is, just do it. Just do it and do it to serve Jesus. And you know, if people hear you, great. And if they don't hear you, okay, that's okay. You're not doing it for them. And then whatever they say to you, you're doing it for Jesus. And the beauty of it with Jesus is that what does he do with it? He fixes it. See, if we goof it up, he just fixes it. Holy Spirit launders it. You know, it's all those kinds of things. And so that we don't have to worry about that part. All right. The second one is that prayer time reflects an ongoing conversation and connection to God. And it doesn't just simply reflect it, but it strengthens it. We're going to talk a little bit about that today, that any relationship that you want to have with anybody else, if conversation is not a part of that, then that's not going to be a real strong connection. That somewhere in there, we have to have some way of listening and talking and conveying to each other uh, what it, what's on your heart and your mind. And that's what, that's what prayer is. And then the third one is that quiet time with God requires you to unplug from the world. How many of you uh, set that goal this week to unplug from the world? I set that goal. I was terrible at it, though, I have to tell you. Yeah, so I got to really work at that. Um, because I'm finding more and more that I'm thinking more and more about what's on my phone than I am on other things. And granted, you know, when, when, you, have a, uh, you, when you have a professional life, 
by which people communicate you via the phone and those kinds of things, it, it gets easier and easier to sort of justify that, okay? And say, well, I got to find out, you know, well, I got to know. So there's, that's something I got to really work on. And I'm counting on at least one of you in this room to help me work on that. We'll, we'll send you a text. Hmm, I wonder. Oh! <laughs> <laughs> John, thank you. I would like to get that text from you. Could you let me know ahead of time when it's going to come? Oh, give me a call. That's good. Yes. Yes. Just, but please don't stop by the office. Okay. I don't want to see you. Okay. There you go. All right. Very good. Any thoughts on what we talked about last week on that? All right. Very good. All right. Oh, and yeah, and by the way, we're recording this for our podcast, so you'll have to listen to it on the internet. Uh, but that would be a good cause, okay? That would be a good reason to do that. All right, so let's get into uh, Matthew 6, 9 to 13 then, as we look at the words of the, uh, of the Lord's Prayer. So we remember Jesus was saying prior to this, he was cautioning us against the idea that if you're going to be praying out in public where other people can see you, just the caution is don't be doing it in order to be seen by others. And remember this whole idea that when a, when a devout Jew would pray, it was very much of a, uh, there was very much of a posture that went with it. It was uh, standing up, eyes up in heaven, arms out like this. And the idea was that because the Jew was required to pray three times a day, mid-morning, noonish, and mid-afternoon, it didn't matter where he was. He could be at the temple, or he could be at work, or he could be at home, or he could be out the ball field, you know, wherever he was. And at, when that time would hit, then he was required to do that. Well, then, then that would mean that people would, would see that, and people would hear that, because then also what, what went with that were some uh, sort of scripted or memorized words that would uh, indicate that. By the way, is there anything wrong with scripted prayers? Or, or what about prayers that you have learned and memorized and now you know them by rote? Anything wrong with that? You mean like the Lord's Prayer? Yeah, like the Lord's Prayer, yeah. What's, the, what's always the caution? I mean, I would agree too. Memorized prayers, I've noticed that... Uh, Prayers of the liturgy, for example, that a lot of us who grew up with uh, hymnal stuff all through our lives, regardless of the color of the hymnal that you grew up with, okay? And now that does goof people up a little bit. What you, if you grew up with the red hymnal and you memorize that one, and then 20 years later, they come up, or 50 years later, we come up with a blue hymnal, and some of the words in the blue hymnal are not exactly the way they were in the red hymnal, and everybody says, oh, I don't like that new hymnal, Right? And then about 50 years later, we come up with the Burgundy hymnal, right? And now everybody's saying, boy, I don't like that one. Let's take us back to the red hymnal. So, yeah. Yeah, Bob. I would just like to put in there, when you have a scripted prayer and you've memorized it, God doesn't look at your words. He looks at your heart. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. If your heart isn't in the prayer, if your heart's not on the golf course or the ball game yeah. or where it happens to be, your prayer is just noise. It's just words. See, it's just words. So, uh, so, but there's, there is value in memorizing a prayer. And I don't say it from this perspective because I've seen this, is that when people get older in life and they can't remember a lot of things, and, you know, we see this a lot with uh, Alzheimer's and dementia and some folks that, 
just have like either age-related or there's some degenerative thing going on in their minds, and they can't remember you, or they can't remember where they put their keys, or they can't remember where, you know, where am I today? When you get to that stuff, the Lord's Prayer or the Creed or these things that are of your youth that were hammered into you by these terrible pastors who did that to you, right? That comes back. That does not leave. That's buried somewhere back here in the brainstem, and that's when it, when it, when it needs to come out, and it is of great, it is of great comfort. And I, get, I just get to see that more because that's part of the ministry that I have here at Messiah to, to spend time with those folks. So, so, you know, that just reminds me that to not get all, you know, worried about, oh, rote prayers, rote prayers. Because I remember growing up thinking, oh, this is really dumb. But, you know, now that I'm one of those older guys, it really is, uh, really does bring great comfort. Yeah, Gordy. Well, from the standpoint of rote prayers, when we sit down to eat and we pick up the fork, did we say grace? You know, and yes, we did. Yeah. Or no, yeah. No, yeah. No, we didn't. We can't. Yeah. You get so used to it that you forget if you've done it. And you can. And so that's the idea to be mindful, to be mindful. Remember last week I, uh, I shared with you the Kishnik rule about uh, these gifts, these gifts, you know, or thy gifts or these thy gifts or whatever it is for the common table prayer. Well, I was at the uh, Texas District Convention this past week. We had it in, up in, uh, in Irving and uh, he was there. So I talked to him about that. I said, hey, Jerry, you know, uh, I was speaking of your name in my Bible class that last Sunday, and I told him about the, uh, about the Kishnik rule. And he, he kind of went, he got real bright, uh, like, like sp- sp- and he thought I was talking about some other thing in Robert's Rules of Order in, uh, <laughs> in running a convention. And I said, no, Jerry, Jerry, that, that's secondary compared to the importance of the other Kishnik rule where, you know, when we would have a gathering and we all say the common table prayer that, uh, uh, that you would announce that we would all say and bless this food to us be blessed. That's what you would say. And that way everybody would say it together and we would all say it the same way. And uh, he kind of laughed and I said, but that's, that's the most important aspect of the, of the Kishin rule. Running uh, Robert's Rules of Order, who needs, who needs that sort of thing? So anyway, I got a chance to... Uh, to, uh, to mention that to him. Okay, so, so we get into, uh, into the first part then. Jesus says in verse 9, he says, this then is how you should pray. This reminds us that Jesus is offering a prayer now for us as his beloved to be reminded of that belovedness. And if you think about it from that perspective, that's what the Lord's Prayer is. The Lord's Prayer is, in fact, a reflection of as well as a reaffirmation of the fact that we are God's beloved and we belong to Him. And then just that reminder that, you know, prayer is what some people say, our half of the conversation that we have with God. Is it the first half or the second half? Second half. Why would you say second half? Yeah. Because he reaches out to us first, he speaks to us in his word, he tells us how much we love him, and then what do we do? We hear it, we go, oh, and we love you, and this is the way that we can do it in the form of the Lord's Prayer, all right? So he starts with the phrase, with the sort of intro, 
to whom we are addressing the prayer, and he says, our Father in heaven, or many of us grew up with the our Father who art in heaven, right? Same, it doesn't matter. It's the same idea. But again, what the reminder is when we say that phrase is that we are, we are reminded that in our relationship with God as Father, we reference Him as Father. And you see, just the fact that Jesus was saying that to His disciples and to us reminds us that there is in fact one God, not many gods as there were and still are in many of the heathen religions today. So some of the aspects of heathen religions was the belief that every force of nature had its own God. So there was the God of the wind, and there was the God of the sun, and the God of the earth, and the God of the rain, and the God of the moon, and the God of the sun. So the idea was that the, the believer and the one doing the praying would always have to invoke the names of the particular gods that that person was trying to somehow gain a favor from. So if you wanted rain, well, how is rain made? The combination of sun and cool of some kind, and put all that together, you get rain. All right, so you have to remember okay, now how many gods are there? And I have to, you, maybe they kept a little list and that was the way that they did that. You know, like in football, they wear the plays on their thing and they would just you know, do it like that. Maybe that's how they did it, all right? But the biggest issue with the foreign gods was, was that none of them were friendly and they didn't like people. And so if you have a God that's not friendly toward people and doesn't like people, and in fact is sort of angry at people most of the time, then what are the people supposed to do to gain some favor from the God? What do they have to do? They've got to appease that God. See, even the word appease or placate. See, those, what those words mean is, is that I already am in an unfavorable position with the God. And in order to get the God to do what I want him to do, I've got to do something for him, it, whatever, in order to make that God happy. And maybe if I make that God happy, or at least not as mad at me as it is, then maybe rain will come. Then maybe the crops will grow then maybe uh, prosperity will happen to me. Maybe then people will like me. I mean, whatever is the laundry list of things that you want, that's what you would pray to the, pray to the God for. And so how much, um, how much comfort does that bring in life then? None. There's no, there's no certainty. There's no confidence. There's no anything. And how much you would you want to be drawn to that God? Have you ever seen pictures of idols, by the way? How endearing are they? <laughs> like you want to go up and cuddle to one like a comfort dog? I don't think so, right? Yeah, it's not, that ain't going to happen. And so see, that's that, that's that power that, that, uh, that those gods would have. But the power was not in the God itself. The power was in the fear that the human had of the God. And the feeling that the only way that you can draw close to that God is if you do everything that, that, uh, that God wants. So the true God, who is revealed as our Father, at least in the prayer, 
reveals his desire to be in relationship with people. And so the relationship of the loving father that we have is that there's four things that our father does for us. And there's more, obviously, but this is a nice way to think about it. Number one, he is a provider. And so what does he do? He provides for his children. By the way, when I'm doing premarital counseling with, uh, with uh, young men and women who are, or older men and women that are getting ready to get married, I like to talk about this. That it's not just simply God our Father that's doing this, but it's also human father, that God has, has sort of um, bestowed on human fathers the, a sort of an instinct or at least a, uh, an aspect of this in our lives as well. So the God our Father does what? He provides for his children. So name one way that he provides. College. College. Well, human fathers do that for sure. But what's one way that, that God, our Father, does that? Provides. Yeah. I mean, you name what you need, that's it. Okay? The second thing is he protects his children. In what way does God protect us? Oh, yeah, the earth stays 93 million miles away from the sun, and that's it, right? I hadn't thought about that. All right, this third one is that he loves his children. The father loves his children. Obviously, he sent Jesus to be our Savior, and then he leads his children. See, and so th this is a pretty cool thing to sort of link the idea of what God does for us as our father to the opportunities that human fathers have to do that for their children and for their families. Now, the, the difference, obviously, is God is perfect in doing it, right? And, and human fathers, we fall short. Do we fall short? Yeah, I think we do. Yeah. It's good that we know that we fall short, because if we didn't know that, other people would have to tell us that we fall short. And, and okay, all right, so, so what does he say? He says, our. Now, why is it our and not my? Isn't he my? Yes, he is my. But why is it our? What's the point of the word our? He's father of all. Yeah, and the fact that we are, as Christians, uh, we are in the what? The body of Christ, all right? So it's this idea that we are all in this together and that he relates to us then through his love. And see, that's the difference between the true God and the false God. The false God relates to us through power, but the power is the power of fear. It is not the power of love. I don't know that much about other religions, but I'm hard-pressed to come up with a word in other religions that includes the idea of grace or that includes the idea of love. There's an awful lot of fear in other, relations, uh, in, in other religions. And to be frank with you about it, could fear motivate people to make a difference in the world? Yeah. Can fear motivate people to do the right thing? Yeah. Can fear motivate people to, to, uh, to, to sort of step up or to show up and to help others? It can. Well, then why don't we just use fear? to motivate people. And maybe some of you have tried to do that. I'll put the fear of God into you on that one, right? <laughs> yes, okay, all right. But why, why is that not the motivator that God uses where he uses the spirit of love rather than the spirit of fear? What do you get from people if 
Fear is the only motivator. A very short-lived. Yeah, you get this much. You get whatever is required if it's this much, but then you don't get any more from that, and you don't get them. All right? Okay, fine, I'll give you what you want, and I'm out of here. Where love, see, the spirit of love is, is something that starts from within here, and it motivates in a greater way. Now, the frustrating thing sometimes about motivating people with the spirit of love is that it takes longer. Have you noticed that? You don't get those instant results that we always want. Okay? So, so he reminds us that we are in this relationship together with God, and that's why it is an hour, not simply a, uh, a my. So the beloved life principle number 31, God is spirit, but he reveals himself as father to accentuate the relationship we have to him as his, H-I-S, his children, okay? Now, um, sometimes I get the question, and, uh, well, I'll just throw it out there and see what you think, okay? So sometimes I get the question from people, particularly women, who grew up with abusive fathers. They have a very difficult time relating to the idea as God as father. Have you encountered that before? And maybe I just do because of kind of the work I do, right? And sometimes that's a hard, that's a hard step for people that grew up with either neglectful or uh, not so much absent, but just, but just uh, abusive fathers. And so one of the things that I find myself often doing is going very gently and going very delicately into the idea that even though your human father was not there for you in the way that he needed to be or he ought to have been, your heavenly father would never, ever do things like that to you. And what I have found is that a very slow and a very gentle nudging is the way to teach that and to articulate that, okay? So we want to be aware of the fact that there are people that have grown up with the, not the best father. They've grown up with the image of father as being something uh, in a tyrannical way, not in a loving way, which many other people have had. And so when that happens, and, and some people have done some studies on this, that the way that a human father relates to his children, sometimes, not for everybody, but sometimes that affects then the way that that person views God, okay? And God reveals himself as father. The other thing you want to be aware of is that in our world today, even within Christendom, there are people that's, that talk about God as father and mother, have you run across that before? Yeah. That's a little bit of the sort of radical feminist uh, move into, uh, into mainline Christianity, where this idea that, well, God is not father, but God is father and mother. And so I always get a little prickly whenever I hear that, and I have to figure out kind of how to handle that. But, but the Bible, when we talk about the way the Bible reveals uh, God to us, it is as father. We are his children. He is our father. And, uh, and that's what we go with. Okay. Any thoughts? Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Dan. Aren't you comparing perfect to imperfect? Parents are not perfect parents. No parents are perfect, but God is perfect. Yeah. 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 So, 
and that's the way to explain it. I mean, it's just that I think that sometimes we make assumptions, or maybe just me, but we make assumptions that everybody grew up with a good dad. Everybody grew up with these great parents. And, you know, on Mother's Day and Father's Day, we sort of hear how great we are. And we are great, uh, but not perfect, okay? So it's just to be, re it's to be reminded that not everybody grew up with that. And sometimes the, the difficulty that people have with relating to God as a parent, let's just use that idea, okay? There is... There is a parental relationship that he has with us. I mean, we're his kids and he's the parent, all right? But if you didn't grow up with that in, a, in an encouraging way and in a supportive way and certainly in a disciplined but not over-the-top sort of stuff, a balanced way, well, that affects, for many people, it affects how you look at God, okay? So just a, kind of an interesting aspect of that, okay? Ready to go on? All right, so he says, uh, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Now, what in the world does it mean to hallow something? Hallowed. Holy, holy. that's another way of saying holy, okay? Um, that's, hallowed is not so much of a word that, that we use so much today, all right? So the, the notes there, there is that God's name is already holy. Are you making God's name holy? No, his name is already holy. But what we're praying for in this particular petition is that we keep his name holy. See? So it kind of gets back to that reverence idea that, that if we're to be reverencing God, that's what we're doing in keeping his name holy. So when we think in terms of a name, all right, the, na the word name in the Bible always was way more than just the person's name. It certainly it would be that. But it would also involve his character and his attributes as well. So when we think in terms of our keeping God's name holy, how do we do that? Number one, we believe in his existence. How many of you believe in the existence of God? Almost everybody. Good. How many of you have ever had doubts about the existence of God? That's hard. You know, sometimes you sort of hit that. You go, at least I do. You go, could it really be? Yes. You know, but it's like that moment, right? Where you just, it's like, whoa, mind boggling. All right. So, but the, so the, so the idea of believing the existence of God is what keeps us from being atheists. Atheists, atheists absolutely deny the existence of God and they, they will swear to God to that. I assure you. <laughs> <laughs> which I've always kind of found amusing when that happens, all right? All right? So they believe in the existence of God. But the thing you need to be aware of, and I know we are, that is not a given in our world today. That is not a given. There probably was a time, and particularly in the United States, where we always used to say, oh, you know, the U.S., that's a Christian nation. And the people that don't believe, they like live way over there in some other like continent or something like that. And through, I don't know, 100 years or so, things have shifted. And you can't say that about us anymore. And I think part of the deal is, is that we sort of got used to the idea that that's how it, how it was. And so we just sort of assumed that everybody would stay that way. Everybody would stay in their faith and everybody would stay in their... Uh, in their belief of, uh, about the existence of God. And so when you start assuming that, you stop teaching it. 
and you stop emphasizing it because you say, well, we don't need to get into that because everybody already believes that. Well, not everybody believes that now. And so if you think in terms of the mission field, in addition to over there, they're sending missionaries over here to us so that we can get that right and we get back to that real basic that we believe in the existence of God. And then the second part of that, a reverencing God, his name is holy, is that you trust in his word even when it defies human logic. Logic is a major player now in our, in our society anyway for how people look at, look at God's word. And there's a lot of people that will take God's word and run it to the filter of logic. And they'll say, well, if it doesn't fit the logic, then there must be something wrong with the word. Or the word itself must be suspect, right? So reverencing God's name is reverencing his word and trusting his word and believing his word even when it's like our brains go, what? There is no way that could have happened, okay? I know uh, back in uh, the day when Pastor Coleman and I were in uh, seminary, there had been a uh, kind of the Bible wars that the Missouri Synod fought back in those days. And, and there, was a lot of, uh, uh, there was a lot of contrary teaching in those days. And it kind of came down to this very thing. It's where people would look at, for example, the miracles that occurred in the Bible, and they would say, well, there's no way that that could have happened, so it must be a myth. See, it must be, a, must be an allegory. It must be a metaphor. It couldn't possibly have really happened, and so therefore, can you really trust in that, all right? Fortunately, our, our church body uh, worked its way through those, uh, through those battles, and we've kind of come out on the other end, and now we're saying you, gotta, you have to submit or subvert your logic to the word because there's a lot in the word that that goes beyond logic a a good example is resurrection i still haven't figured that one out right and so if we limit what god can do to what we understand or think he can do then it's already problematic. But what we need to understand is that that's the way the world thinks, and that's often the clash between Christians and and, uh, not necessarily just unbelievers, but Christians and believers who put a lot more emphasis on logic or or rationalism, if you will, than than we would. And, And how do you fit the two together? And I think we're still trying to figure out what those conversations look like. Okay, I know or suspect that in talking about this, what I hope, Phil, is that some of the folks out there in wherever it is, a million, you know, miles from here, would would get offended by what I just said. And then they'll call you and that'll be perfect. (laughs) What did he say? Yep. But see, that's part of the engagement part. We haven't or I'm learning anyway to how do you engage with that? Yeah. I'm, I'm actually a part of a, of a few uh, uh, Protestant Christian uh, groups on Facebook and other uh, social networks, and there are like there are just a bunch of different uh, discussions and sometimes very heated arguments amongst uh, Christians and believers on various topics. Uh, one that one that I find particularly interesting is uh, young earth creationists versus old earth creationists. Old earth, young earth stuff, yeah. That sure. type of stuff, that's a very heated topic I've yeah. found uh, among a variety of other yeah. topics. Yeah, so that's why I'm glad they're calling you, Phil, and not me. 
You can just... Older and younger creationists. Uh, okay, so we're going to move into a new topic. <laughs> well, thank you, Anna. Appreciate that. Okay, Phil, better... So oh, okay. Well, okay, so let, can I put it in a nutshell? Let me just do that. Okay, nutshell. All right, because this is actually being debated within our own church body right now. Okay? So always the question kind of is, how far can you go in your uh, interpretation of Genesis and the creation story? How far can you go and still be faithful to the scripture? And then kind of where's that fuzzy little line in there? Okay? So uh, I'm sure I'm going to goof this up, and then I'm going to get a million calls, I know. But the young earth... People that, that hold to the young earth uh, a theory believe that the earth is basically 6,000 years old. And it's maybe more, maybe a little bit more now, right? And what they, what they do, do is they look at in Genesis where it says the word day, you know, six-day creation, and they say that what that is is that's limited to 24 hours, okay? And so if it's a 24-hour day and you do the math... And then you look at all the genealogies in, uh, in Genesis and you add up all the numbers, what you get basically is 6,000 years old is how old the earth is. And then therefore that's how old people have been in existence. And so then you can see where that collides with, the sci with science, where science says that we're talking millions and billions of years in order for things to occur and carbon dating reveals that and all those kinds of things. So the old, so that's the young earth. So the old earth uh, theory or people that ascribe to that, they believe in Genesis too. So see, everybody believes in Genesis. The issue is how long is a day? And so is a day a 24 hour time period or is a day like an era of some kind? where we're talking about now in a more symbolic way or allegorical way that it was six whatevers, but not six 24-hour days. That's, so that's old earth versus, uh, versus young earth, okay? Missouri Synod has historically come out with saying that we believe in the 24-hour day, okay? But here's the thing. We have not said that and nor do we hold people uh, sort of accountable to the idea that that therefore means that the earth is only 6,000 years old. So see, it's just a little bit of because the Bible doesn't say how many years, that, how old is the earth. It doesn't say that. It just says 24. It says day is 24 hours. Does that make sense? Good. I didn't confuse you at all. Phil, is that kind of consistent? Two thumbs up from Phil. I'm living high. Hi, uh, yeah, Richard. Yeah, I think part of that problem is when you were first born, and they teach you in child development, when your little kids are yeah. very concrete. Sure. And as you transition to adulthood, you become more abstract. But not everybody makes the transition. <laughs> so, that's true. You know, and... And, and who in this room might that be? Huh? Yeah. But some of the kids don't like stuff being abstract. When we taught a story that had no ending, yeah. it yeah. freaked them out. Well, it's like all the TV shows that we grew up with ended happy. I know. And the good guys wore a certain color hat and the bad guys. So it was all like it all, you know what started all this? Baskin Robbins. <laughs> 
Okay, this I gotta hear. <laughs> no, they're, they're the ones that created all this problem in the world when they went to 33 flavors. <laughs> Prior to that, what did we have? Chocolate, vanilla, strawberry. The world was better off with just those three. And then it all changed, you know, and I remember when it changed. I do. So there you go. Of course, I still can't resist Oreo cookie ice cream. But anyway, yeah, somebody else had their, yeah. One other question. Uh, you know, the Bible says that uh, regarding God, that uh, a day is like a thousand years in his sight. A could be, it could be more. Well, see, I know. And that's where the, the, the Bible uses the word day depending on the context. It always contextual. Okay. It, it uses the word day in, in, in metaphorical ways. It uses it in symbolic ways. And then it also uses it. So the Hebrew word for day is Y-O-M, Yom. So you've heard what? Yom Kippur. Okay. See that? And that's the way that's used. So kind of in our church body, the way that we do this is we just say, whatever is the plain reading is we're 99% sure that's what it is, the plain reading, okay? So when people say a day, okay, it's a day, yeah, a day, whatever. But then with all the scientific stuff that almost every high school kid and maybe junior high kid and maybe for sure college kid and anybody in technology and anybody in the way that our world is run today is exposed to a contrary position, not wrong, I'm just saying contrary. So then what are you going to do with that? Those kids and those folks that are educated in that way come to church and the temptation is to say, you guys are all wrong. You guys are like, wait, oh, I don't know what planet you're born on. And see, that doesn't, that doesn't help a conversation, does it? It doesn't help that. It doesn't mean that you have to Say, okay, we'll just give in to whatever you say because you're right and we're wrong. It isn't that. It's figuring out how do those two things go together. Because there's so many gifts and wonderful things that we get from science. And there's also so many wonderful things we get from faith. And we would hope that there's a way to put that together. I just think we haven't figured out how to do that yet. But I love the fact that we're willing to go there. And that's a little bit, again, of sort of our thoughts initially with putting this podcast together that we could sort of expose this to a wider thing out there and see what happens. Okay. And when you start, you know, hitting on this stuff, that's usually when people go, Hey, you know, I like that. Or, Hey, I hate that, you know, so whatever, whichever one it is, uh, Phil will be happy to answer all their questions for them. Yeah. Anna. The reverse happens too. So for my son, he was told that the earth was 6,000 years old. Yeah. He said he went to college and he, of course, majored in science. He came home and he said, the DCE and you lied to me. Oops. Yeah. The earth is not. Yeah. I mean, he is angry. Yes. Because yes. college. Is and yeah. so it happens both ways. It does. Yeah, it does. See, and to me, to me, that means there's an opportunity. Okay. But, you know, you, I mean, I've talked about this before, kind of how I react to stuff like that is I go very slow and nudge and sort of poke around. And because part of it is, is that 
When you've been taught a certain thing your whole life and then you go away someplace else and somebody says, well, not only is that ridiculous what you have been taught, but it's just plain stupid because look at all the evidence we have here. What is somebody supposed to do with that? And so how do you make room for it? Okay? How do you make room for it? And I think in some sense what's needed are people who are in the sciences who have kind of figured out what to do with that, and yet they are still Christian in their faith, and they hold to the Bible, okay? To have those folks be the ones that are way more equipped and have, frankly, have way more credibility than somebody like me who isn't science-based and has to have a second grader program his phone, you know, that just... That, that kills, and maybe that's what I need to do is have a, a second grader. And then once they do it, I can't figure out how to use it, and then I'll just put it away and not use it. Maybe that's what I need you to do. a group of scientists like that? I mean, how do we know who the scientists are? That there's, a great, you know, there's a great thing at Christian that says wise men still seek him. Yeah. And the way I view that is yeah. the scientists yeah. in the world that are yeah. still Christians. That's how well, I had, when I was in Nacogdoches, um, you might remember that I was there before I came here. And we had a campus ministry there at Stephen F. And one of the great things there was that we had a couple guys that taught in the physics and astronomy department who were, uh, they were elders in our church. So they were like, you know, good guys. And, and we often would have conversations about that. How do you, how do you marry the two together? You know, how do you, because we're kind of both talking our own language, but in talking our own language, we end up either doing this, passing each other in the night, or smashing into each other, and then saying, hey, you're the bad guy, and oh, no, you're the bad guy. And so they, they were very helpful about that in terms of how you can have, how you can have a, a, basically a conservative view of the scriptures, and yet still incorporate science. And the thing we want to remember is that a lot of what we hear about evolution and the age of the earth and those kinds of things is theory, okay? It's theory based on certain observations that have been made. And, and so in some sense, they, that's a faith statement to say, well, this is how it was when in fact it's this, uh, this is what we believe it was, okay? Well, I mean, from a Christian point of view, isn't that what the Bible is, a faith book, where we say this is what we believe on the basis of what it says. And so to some degree, it's a collision of faith, isn't it? Yeah, and that's the difficulty here and then back here. And of course, we're never going to get to the rest of the Lord's <laughs> Prayer, as I can see, as is our normal thing. So I know what already will happen with that. Yes, yes. Let me go with a bet first. Is it, is it naive or wrong to... The way I look at it, I just let God take care of that. I don't have to worry about that. I'll read the Bible. I will let it say to me what it says to me. But I'm not going to worry about if a day is a thousand years. Yeah. Or, or is that naive? Is that stupid? Is that being over 80? No, that's what we love about you. Yes. <laughs> no, it's not, it's not naive at all. It's, but, but the accusation would be made that you're being naive. Yeah, you're not being... Uh, intellectual or you're not being, well, you know, true. but, <laughs> <laughs> but see, you don't care. <laughs> see, and that's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Marge. Yeah. How did the scientists 
correlate the fact of God being forever. Where do they think he came from and how? Well, again, I'm not going to speak for scientists up here, um, and maybe this would be something that we might want to think about doing in this class at some point, something like that. Maybe we could pull some folks together from UTD or something like that who, who can, can articulate that, okay? So I'd, where I go in my head is, is that the scriptures tell us that God is the origin of those things, okay? I wasn't there to see how it all sort of started. So I'm sort of left with speculating on the basis of what I read, okay? And so that's okay. That's kind of, that's where I'm at. I just don't want somebody from a science perspective or a technology perspective to take God out of the picture and say that he wasn't somehow involved. Because see, to me, that it goes to the issue of what is the human, what are people's purpose and meaning in life? If you don't tie that to God and the origins of God, then you're basically a cosmic accident. And the reason why you're here is not any reason at all. It's just that it just so happened that all the chromosomes came together and this and that came together and boom, here you are. But whatever purpose and meaning you have in life is up to you to make. And see, that takes God totally out of the picture. That takes the greater sense of why I'm here and what I'm to be about out of the picture. And I feel that's a great loss. I feel that's a great loss. So, so I will, will, from my perspective, will always fight for the idea that God started it. And God keeps it going. I'm not entirely sure how he does it. But thank goodness it's not limited to my brain, Right. Because that would be big trouble. Uh, somebody back here. Oh, yeah. If we just need to be careful when we say, when someone says the science is so, because that is not a very scientific statement. I mean, not just about evolution, but you know, you hear people say, don't question this, don't talk about God, don't, don't yeah. bring any of this up because the science is so. Yeah. Well, there's still a lot of of people, scientists, who will give you different answers. Well, and that's partly what those guys at SFA helped me realize, too, is that as soon as someone says the science says this, there's like 10 other people that say, oh, yeah? You know, so they're they're constantly disproving things in order to prove things. Well, or whatever, you know, whatever it might be. I mean, there might be places where it is hotter than others. I mean, just so, so that we don't get so worried about that, that we say to ourselves, I can't engage. See, to me, that's the worst approach. I think the approach is we, in fact, need to engage. But, you know, you have to do it in a fairly understandable way. So let's give some thought to that idea that maybe we might bring somebody in and then we can, like, throw, uh, you know, mud pies at them or something like that. So, yeah. A little wonderful book to read is called The Flood. The Flood? Yes, yeah. By, and he was an, an atheist, yeah. a scientist, and is now a strong believer. Mm -hmm. But he talks about That's really an old book. I think my dad had that and gave that to me. Yeah. I should probably read it. No, I haven't read it, but it's on my dad. It's on my shelf. Doesn't that count for something if it's on your shelf? It should, yes. I know. Well, maybe if I put my phone down long enough, I would be able to read it. 
Oh, you did? Oh, it came out in print again. Okay, good to know. Good resource. Okay, well, let's see. Are we, uh, let's see here. Um, how about if we do your kingdom come? I think our uh, Lord's kingdom will come before we get done with the Lord's prayer. <laughs> Sheesh. All right. All right. So we say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy or your kingdom come. All right. So again, Luther reminds us that God's kingdom is already here. Where is it? It's in here. It's in here. And you're a part of it. When did you become a part of it? When, when God called you in faith, either through your baptism or through the word, and then it was reaffirmed by baptism. He said, you're, you're with me. So it's already there. So why do we pray that if your kingdom come, if it's already there? Because there's another part to the kingdom. What part is that? It's heaven. We talked about that yesterday in Gene's funeral. If you ever, if you, I don't know if you, how many funerals you've been to, uh, in, at least in Lutheran world, we always talk about that. We always talk about that. And what's interesting about that is that at least in Gene's case, we didn't really, no, we didn't need to, but we didn't really get the chance to talk about heaven much because she died so quickly. You know, when somebody has a, a brain bleed and then they, everything's just shutting down and they go into coma, you just don't get that chance to do that. That's one of the reasons why I'm so grateful that we can talk about that here, right? But one of the neat things for me, and I get to do this maybe not more than others, but I just get to do it, is that when somebody knows that they're dying, you get that opportunity to talk about heaven that's coming. And, and it's like, you're talking about sports. I mean, it's like you're talking about, well, we don't talk about the Rangers because that's a different gig. But you, there's not a discomfort with that. There's not an awkwardness there. It's not, it's not like, oh, you can't talk about that. You know, you can talk about anything else, but not that. And it just doesn't work that way. You know, when, you're, when your salvation is assured and you know it, it's sort of like you'll you're miss your loved ones on earth and all the stuff that you still wanted to do. But you sort of put that up against the fact that you're going to be with Jesus in, in heaven. And then someday, like after like judgment day and we all go to heaven, then it's like we'll be reunited. And, and the awareness of that is just the coolest thing. So when we pray thy kingdom come, you see, we're rejoicing in the fact that the kingdom is here within us. But we're also praying that, Lord, you're taking your time. Hurry up and come, right? And I bet you in our world today, we're sort of thinking that, aren't we? This wacky world that we live in now and have all of the rules have changed and everything's different. And we go, oh, Lord, please come soon. And there is not a thing wrong with saying that. And in fact, that's what we say here in, uh, in the Lord's Prayer. All right. So let's ready to move to the next one. Okay, all right. So then the best one of all. Well, second best. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, again, this is kind of one of those things where God's will is going to be done whether you want it to be or not. Sorry. Right? You pray for it. It didn't happen just because you prayed for it. It's going to happen because God is God and he doesn't need us to tell him what his will is. So then why pray for it? Well, what we're praying for is that we will do his will on earth. 
thy will be done. See, we always think thy will be done by you. That must be what it means. No, no, it's thy will be done by me. And I'm praying that I will do God's will. That's what we're praying in that petition. So how do we do God's will? Number one, we reverence for and we are in obedient submission to his word. See, people say all you hear this all the time. Oh, if only I knew what God's will was in this situation. Now, to be sure, sometimes the situation that you want to know God's will in is not specifically laid out in the Bible. Right? So, like, what's an example of something that is, situa- that is mentioned in the Bible? Well, we've talked about it already in Matthew. Love your enemies and pray for those that persecute you. That's in the Bible. So if you want to know what God's will is for you with your enemies and people that persecute you, there it clearly is. Do what? Love your enemy and yeah. Okay. So that's specific. Oh, good. I could read in the Bible and it told me what to do and now I can do it and I'll be doing God's will. Okay. But what if I have questions about which job to take? What if I have questions about whether or not I should marry that person or not? See, what do I do with that? It's not so clear, is it? It's not so specific in the word. Well, so when we think in terms of reverence for and obedience to his word, okay, if it's real clear, right? But the second thing is, it's also our faith that God is doing his will even when you can't see it or even think that it's actually happening. Have you ever had that with prayer where you've been praying, 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 and then you're looking, 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 looking to see what it is that God's going to do with the praying, praying, praying you're doing? And he isn't doing anything. You ever had that feeling? And so you think, why am I do why am I praying? Why am I spending all this time praying and he's not doing anything? We walk by what? Faith, not by, so what does that mean? You trust. You trust. You trust. So what does that mean? You trust. Well, as you pray, God's going to do his thing. And sometimes, you know, our prayers are very parochial, right? I've got, you know, who's in the circle? Well, there's me. That's about it. (laughs) All right. And I'm thinking that whatever it is in here that's going to happen for me will be, and I'll be able to see it and know it and all those kinds of things. But God, see, his bigger, he's got that bigger thing. And so sometimes God is like moving all the pieces around and it takes a while to get there. And we don't realize that until way later, right? And then way later we look back and we go, oh, boy, if he had answered the prayer the way I wanted at the moment when I wanted it, that would have been a disaster. And that's how God works. God's got the big picture. And sometimes the things that need to happen are out here in order to bring this to be into, into play. And even the version of what God does here is way different than my version. And when that happens, boy, thank God for that. Okay. Cause that's a reminder that he's in charge. Okay. Thoughts. Yes. 
I, I know a lot of times when I pray and then I, I get done with my prayer and I say, and thy will be done. Yeah. I look back, I just realize I told him 20 things of the way he should do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's, it's like I get conflicted at the end. Of, oh, wait a minute. You know, I, yeah. I didn't have to say all that. Yeah. Because he already knows what I know. we need. So why pray then? He already knows, so why pray? To remind yourself that he's God. Yeah. And we just kind of need to rem be reminded of that, I think, you know, 28,000 times a day. Because at, for, as, from a human perspective, it's just the easiest thing in the world to think that we and we alone know what God's will is. And we have it down. And that if he would just do it that way, that would be everything would be OK. OK. All right. Tell you what, we're going to stop here and we'll pick it up next week with. Uh, really good stuff. Daily bread. That's one. That's a really fun one to talk about. And then the one after that is just my favorite. <laughs> Forgive us our trespasses. I like that part. Okay. So we'll have some fun with that next time and uh, look forward to that. So let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the gift that you've given us in those beautiful words of the Lord's Prayer. Lord, when we have the opportunity to hear them sung like we did this morning, oh my heavens, that just uh, fills our hearts and our minds with joy. But we also have opportunity to pray that each and every day. And as we do, that reminds us that you are our Father and we are your children. And sometimes we get that goofed up. So, Lord, I would challenge each one of us uh, this, this morning to, to give some deeper thought to the Lord's Prayer as we think about our relationship with you. Help us to continue in our lives to walk by faith and not by sight. Help us in our lives to live out your will and to do all that with the confidence of knowing that when we blow it, you are there loving us and you are there forgiving us and giving us the opportunity to do the same with others. Watch over us this week, dear Lord, until we're together again. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.